Good morning, church. My name is Stephanie Rudman, and I'm a member here at Redemption. Psalm 127, a song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. This is God's word for us today. Well, part of the year-in and year-out rhythm of the life of the people of Israel, and included various religious feasts and festivals, and these were God-given, these were God-prescribed festivals, celebrations rather, that would require many of the families to leave home and make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to worship. Now, God's purpose in making these feasts routine, it seems pretty clear. He wanted his people to be completely dependent on him in all of life. And he wanted to remind them that they have always, really, needed to depend on him ever since he formed them into a nation in the first place. And as the people of Israel would travel to Jerusalem for these routine festivals, they probably could use a gentle reminder that entrusting God with their everyday lives was a good idea because, of course, they were leaving their everyday lives to go obey God. So it makes total sense to me why Psalm 127 was most commonly used for this exact purpose. The wisdom of this psalm, attributed to King Solomon, the Bible's wisest character, is perfectly suited to reinforce God's desire to teach his people dependence on him. It's one of several psalms that are most commonly used during this pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Together, the songs of ascent is what we call them. So imagine a shared library of songs, very similar to what we have here at Redemption, songs that pretty much everyone knows, songs that are meant to help shape the collective understanding of God's people to teach them about God, and that's what these songs of ascent are for. And in the case of Psalm 127, the lesson that needed to shape the people of God was a lesson in the wisdom of entrusting God with everyday life, and particularly everyday family life. The text is divided into two parts, roughly halfway through the psalm. The first part deals with the everyday life, seems particularly everyday human work, and the necessity of God being at work in that work. Then there's this beautiful kind of abrupt shift to be talking about children and family life. And the second part shows how God is at work in everyday family lives. So the plan is that we're going to discuss each part, then we're going to discuss them together, which will highlight the claim of the text today. God is at work in everyday family life to bless and to bring himself glory. And then the plan is to apply along the way. Sounds good? I'm acutely aware this morning that unless the preacher preaches, or the preacher will preach in vain unless the Lord's preaching, right? Let's pray. Father, we need you today. 
I'm about to preach a sermon that deals with family, and I just cannot speak to the incredible spectrum of experience that people have with family. I, I can't do it all. But I praise you that I'm not really supposed to because that's your job. I fully depend on you today. We fully depend on you today to let everything that you're trying to do in Psalm 127 have its effect in our hearts. We just eagerly step aside this morning and ask that you work in full dependence upon you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Part one, where is God at work? Well, every day I come home from work, I come back to my house. Nearly every day I can remember, by God's grace, I've lived in a house. Places of dwelling, houses, shelter, call them what you will, they're pretty common. They're pretty everyday items. They're important, of course. They're essential, even, to human flourishing, but still every day, common items, which makes verse 1 of Psalm 127 stand out. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. So wait, you're saying all those people building all those houses, which are pretty foundational and essential to life, they might be spending their work every day, essential work, in vain? Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Huh. Twice in a row, the wisest man ever is saying that every day, essential, fundamental to human flourishing tasks, those tasks that humans have been doing since ever, they run a serious risk of being in vain? Yes, unless, of course, unless the Lord is actually the one doing that work. Unless the Lord is building the house, unless the Lord is watching the city, these obviously important, everyday, big deal tasks are done in vain. Now that seems a little unexpected. It might even seem a bit off-putting, and I think it might cause us to ask, what then in life is God doing? What in life is not in vain? Where is God at work? Because I would rather do that and not work in vain. But wait, there's more. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. Now, this is most likely a reference to the everyday task of a farmer simply growing food out of a cursed earth to feed himself and his family. So we could maybe extrapolate this just a bit to generally say, it is in vain that you anxiously work so hard to live and survive on the earth. Again, what then in life is not in vain? Where is God at work? What's Solomon doing here? He's trying to teach these people that they really need God to be at work in everyday life. He's trying to teach them to have an absolute dependence on God in all of life. And he's trying to teach them the importance of complete devotion to God because it's precisely in this dependence and it's in this devotion that God is at work to bless. Solomon's trying to teach them to, in a word, have faith. And that's the same lesson that we need. No matter what project we might be involved in, from the building of the biggest, most impressive house 
I mean, even something as big of a deal as the building of the temple of God in Jerusalem, no matter if it's something big and important, new and impressive, or it's just watching out for the safety of our city every day, or if it's daily scraping by a living on this planet, all of it is done in vain unless, unless the Lord is at work in it. Well, think again to the context of this psalm's most common use to leave their home and to go to Jerusalem, these people would have to leave their fields, leave their flocks, leave their cities, their building projects. They'd leave all of it. And they'd have to trust that these essential matters of life would be waiting for them when they came back. Why? Why would God have this routine in his people's lives? It's to teach them dependence. It's to teach them faith. And through that faith, to bless them. Through that faith, God is at work in everyday life to bless and to bring himself glory. So the first application for us today, don't live your life in vain. Well, can I ask some diagnostic questions this morning? I've got an MD, so I had to use the word diagnosis. Let's take a survey, if you will, of where our hearts are. What is the house that you are building right now? Is it your career? Is it a particular image of yourself? that you really need people to see? Is it a hobby? Or is it some literal house, maybe even a literal building project that's taking a ton of your time, your focus, your energy, whatever your house is, is God building it? Or are you building it in vain? Imagine being called by God to leave that house alone, whatever it is, travel someplace else, lay it down for a time so you can devote yourself completely to the obedient worship of God. How would that go? What is the city that you're diligently watching? Is it some elusive, perfect, seamless life that we see presented on social media? Is it a particularly comfortable way of life or is it specific time for yourself? Is God the one watching your city or are you watching that city? all night, in vain. Look, if you don't know, if you're still unsure of where your heart is at when it comes to depending on God this morning, then let's ask ourselves this. Is your life more like eating the bread of anxious toil? Or is it more like God giving you sleep? Because trusting God in all of life has a very wonderful result. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. So is your heart at rest? Are you someone that God is giving sleep to? And I'm not just talking about physical sleep, though I think there is an element of God's grace in that as well. Many of Solomon's Proverbs do speak directly to the fact that those who live obedient, dependent lives to God will probably sleep better, but I'm asking a deeper question right now. Could it be that maybe we're a little addicted to the bread of anxious toil? Do we like those sweet, anxious toil carbs for some reason? I mean, they do seem to have a way of sustaining you. They're super accessible. They're right on hand. And look, I know this because I, in my own life, have eaten this bread as a steady diet for like years. Most of my life, in large part, has been some form of school Turns out it takes a lot of school to become a doctor. And through most of that school life, I was anxious about my performance. It needed to be excellent. It reflected on me. It was like 
my favorite aspect of my identity. And it was partly through harnessing anxiety and partly through leaning into the stress of life and competition that I was able to summon the will to compete. I would wake up early or go late to rest. I wanted to be the smart guy in the room and to build a really impressive city made of houses that were really big. But it just kept requiring more and more anxious toil, Brett. Until, of course, I could take it no longer, and the vanity of it all left me disillusioned and my body literally sick. And so, look, if this resonates with you for whatever reason, career or just scraping by a life on this cursed world, then Jesus, in his wonderful gentleness, meets us right here. And he says this, come to me, all who labor and who are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Church, let's not live our lives in vain. See, the picture I want to paint here is one of needlessly putting your head down in life. And for the sake of some seemingly important house to build or city to watch, something we think will bless us, it, it just turns into a short-sighted life, a life that tries to wrestle the work of everyday life away from God, not give it to him. And so let's not live that life because it is vanity, but let's take instead the easy yoke of Jesus. Our job is simply to go through life, yeah, doing all these everyday tasks, but in faith in dependence upon God in all of life. And through our faith, God gets that work done. And anything else is vanity. So let's not live our lives in vain. Part two, God's at work in family. So if you remember, part one somewhat left a question hanging. Where is God at work? And if you're paying attention, part of the answer, obviously, provided we let him, is that God's at work in everyday life. Praise God. But part two of our text helps complete the answer to that question. Where is God at work? Family. When I first read verse three of Psalm 127, it seemed like it didn't belong in the same psalm. Verses one through two are everyday life and probably about work and career, if not just simple survival. Then verse three, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Now, honestly, when I first read this psalm, my first question was, Solomon, what are you doing here? But let's unpack this a bit. And I want to start with a discussion on the idea of blessing. So when I'm talking about blessing or the work of God to bless, I'm trying to be as biblical as I know how to be. And even more specifically, I'm letting the Genesis and the Exodus narratives define blessing for me because that's what I think Solomon's trying to do here in Psalm 127. So I'm defining blessing this way. Blessing is God using his supernatural power in the lives of humans to make life go well. In other words, when God is blessing his people, he's intervening in a world cursed by sin to undo that curse and show the entire world his goodness and his power. So let's come back to Psalm 127. Let's look at verses 3 through 5 through the lens of blessing. Verse 5 starts with, blessed is the man. And in that verse, we see a great example 
of blessing. We see an example of God using his supernatural power to make life go well. We see a man doing well in society. To the original audience, this gate is the place where societal business got done. You might remember from our series in Ruth that Boaz went to the gate to redeem Ruth. Why? Because that's where societal work was done in a particularly public and official way. So Psalm 125, or sorry, 127 verse 5, we didn't skip Psalms, um, is it's describing blessing. Life's going well. Society's functioning properly. And it's functioning properly through a guy who's got a big family. He's got lots of sons who are well-parented. They're still around. They're still in good standing. And now they're all standing with their father in the gate, in the place of societal importance, and they're helping his life go well. And church, here's the point. The Psalm 127 picture of a successful person is not someone who built a super impressive house. It's not even someone who built the temple of God like Solomon who wrote this thing. The Psalm 127 picture of a city working well. It's not one where the heroes stayed up all night watching the city. This picture of societal success was not achieved with impressive next-level work ethic fueled by the bread of anxious toil. No, Psalm 127's successful, blessed man is simply a good dad. So putting the two halves of the psalm together, let's go back to verse 1. The word for house here is a very common word, and that word can be used, depending on the context, to identify a more mundane physical dwelling, like house. It can refer to a more impressive dwelling, like God's house, temple even, or it can refer to, get this, a person's household. The house of Israel, the house of Jacob, family, household. So in a remarkable, poetic way, I'm pretty sure that what Solomon has in view here from the very beginning is a much more layered discussion of everyday life. Both halves of this psalm, those seemingly devoted to separate things, they're really far more linked than we might assume. In other words, it seems to be the case that the work that God is up to in everyday life that work that we so desperately need him to do, the work that if he does not do all of life is in vain, that work is far more familial than we tend to think. So think of the most important earthly projects you contribute to. Think of your most cherished career accomplishments, the loftiest of career goals, the biggest possible difference in the course of history that you could make. And unless the Lord is doing that, you're doing it in vain. Now, on the other hand, think of your family. According to our text today, that is what God is doing. The family that you have, that's God at work, which means that that is not in vain. See, we as humans tend to think of everyday life success as being tied to our accomplishments. We tend to think of our legacy as our heritage as primarily physical. And when it comes to being important or when it comes to what we might consider a worthy inheritance, a worthy heritage, it's a lot easier for us to care about our building projects, the cities that we're watching, than it is our everyday family lives. But that's short-sighted. And God's saying here in Psalm 127 that a true inheritance from God, it's far more familial than we tend to think. 
It's kind of like category breaking for us in the modernity, isn't it? Children are a gift from God that he uses to bless, and they're nothing less than that. Children, and by extension, family, are a means by which God is at work in the everyday lives of people. Family is a means by which he blesses his people and a means by which he blesses all of creation. So do you remember that question from part one? Where is God at work? God is at work here, church. He's at work in your family lives right now to bless you. He's at work right now in your families to bring himself glory. And that work, this is important, that work will never be in vain, even though it may seem like it. We've got to depend on God to do his work that will never be in vain. So do you view family like that? Application two, we got to slow down, we got to look up, and we got to let God work through family. When you see your life plans progressing out in your minds, right now I have young people in mind, people who haven't had children yet, maybe even more specifically, medical students about to choose careers. Is your life plan going to accommodate the truth of Psalm 127? Will that plan support this particular work that God is doing in family? Or will your trajectories crowd out the fullest expression of blessing that family can have? It's going to take faith. Fathers, do you hold your children and get overwhelmed with delight and with thanksgiving? Mothers, does the incomprehensible weight of God's blessing soften your correction of a child throwing a fit? Parents, does the pattern and contour of our lives reflect the work that God is doing in our families? And does the spiritual quality of our everyday family life have God's blessing written all over it because that's what it is. Your children are a gift from God to bless you, a gift from God to bring himself glory. He's the one who made your family. You participated, sure, but unless the Lord is at work in something, you're doing it in vain. So look, Psalm 127 may be God's way of resetting your view of family this morning. He may be knocking loudly on the door of your heart and asking you to slow down and to look up from the vanity of an everyday life that's marked by anxious toil. He may be asking you to see what he's doing in everyday life, everyday family life, and to trust him with it. But what he's doing, please see this, he's doing something to bless you. And he's doing something for your good and to bring himself glory. And you may be here today weighed down by everyday constant fatigue of life, constant fatigue of parenting and waking up at 2 a.m. and then 4 a.m. and then 4.30, <laughs> struggling to see the benefit, wishing your life were different, maybe even fantasizing about how you could use your time or your resources differently. We just didn't have this dependence. Look, our culture is not going to make this easy for us. Um, it's hard to think biblical about family these days. It seems like what's most commonly bought and sold in our society is a type of vain and frantic life that demands we both be perfect parents and the model career person. 
There seems to be some unwritten rule out there that if you're not simultaneously building the most impressive house of Psalm 127 or watching the biggest city all night and at the same time also being the perfect parent with tons of energy and tons of capacity, family game night every Wednesday, (laughs) making all the sports events, all the plays, all the concerts, and not falling asleep during the concerts. If you're doing it all, then you're doing it right. And if you're not doing it all, then you ain't doing it right. And so many of us, we spend a ton to buy what's like a spiritual shiny hamster wheel. And then it's fueled by anxious toil bread, come to find out. And then we get into it and we put our heads down and we run. And someone hands us a crying baby and we run harder. And we wonder why both you and the baby are tired at the end of the day. Vanity. Look, God, in his incredible mercy and in his profound, gentle kindness, will give us psalms like Psalm 127 to teach us about the real work, the work that God is doing, the work that will never be in vain. And that work is done in our dependence on him. That work, it looks far more like us coming home from work as soon as it's appropriate and just playing with our kids. That work looks like the recognition of children being a gift from God, sinking into our bones and softening our hearts and tempering our emotions and causing us to no longer be harsh, causing us to discipline as God disciplines us gently, patiently, lovingly, and most miraculously, causing us to delight in the marvelous blessing of everyday family life. See, as the grace of God through his word sinks in, and as we together joyfully submit to it, we're going to disengage from a fevered and anxious, heads-down way of living, and we're going to slow down, we're going to look up, and we're going to see that God is doing something. See, the truth is this. A parent who has Psalm 127 helping to form their worldview, they will parent differently because of it. Now, I wanted to close today by showing you one more facet of letting God work through family. And I want to do that while addressing those of you here today that are probably struggling to see how this psalm applies to you. So single people or married couples who don't have children yet, but more specifically, the people who've been on my heart all week, those who are here who from the second you knew I was going to be preaching a sermon on family got really nervous. Because to you and in your experience, family does not seem a blessing. No, family and children, that's pain. And maybe you'd gladly give up any house building or any city watching if you could just experience a piece of the blessing of Psalm 127. And maybe the bread of anxious toil that you're most familiar with is just pursuing children and family. Look, please hear this. Children and earthly families are not the only means by which God blesses. He's at work here, yes. And an infinitely good and creative God is infinitely good and creative in how he blesses his people. So when we slow down, when we look up, and when we see what God's doing through family, we're going to see just how wonderfully creative he is. And especially when it comes to redeeming the idea of family, from the curse of sin. God is the heavenly father 
of an eternal spiritual family that is not meant to bless only individual earthly family units. No, it's meant instead to bless all the nations and all the peoples of all the earth. The whole story of the Bible, it's about God's creativity and his kindness and his grace in forming this family, this family that began from two old people who struggled to have kids. Abraham and Sarah were unable by themselves to build that household, but God's the one building this household. And so it could never be in vain. Then family after family, character after character, the family of God comes from a long line of people who are well acquainted with all the same struggles that we have in life. And even still, they all testify to their complete and utter dependence upon their God. And they testify to the glory of this heavenly father who built himself a household. And in the fullness of time, he orchestrated all events to even put himself into the story. And he intervened to bless this whole world by causing the fruit of a virgin's womb to become our undeserved reward. And all of creation became his heritage. And this God-man, this Jesus Christ, he'd continue to bless this world by living a sinless life, by dying a sacrificial death in place of all of us sinful humans, by raising victoriously from the grave on the third day, and he still blesses it right now by reigning on the throne of heaven. Jesus is the fullest realization of the mighty warrior of Psalm 127 because, you see, Jesus is filling that quiver full of arrows, full of spiritually born-again children, each bought with the precious blood of Christ, each one through faith, baptized into a new kind of spiritual family that only he could create. And this family work that he's been doing from the beginning of creation, it's so incredibly not in vain that its result will be a multitude of sons and daughters joining their King Jesus at the gate. And even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. When we slow down, when we look up, and when we see what God is doing through the whole Bible, we see that this heavenly family is the ultimate purpose behind God giving out earthly families. So church, you are the blessed family of God. And if you, through repentance and by faith, are trusting on this God in all of life to be part of this family, then look around. Because every Christian here and every fellow member of redemption, they are your family in a very real, if spiritual, way. It doesn't matter if you're single or married. It doesn't matter if you're struggling to have kids or if you have a ton. In this eternal, blessed, spiritual family of God, your God is at work in all of everyday life to bless you. An infinitely good and creative God is putting his creative redemption of people on display for the universe. And so older men, look at your spiritual sons. And older women, look at your spiritual daughters. Parents, look at your children. And slow down and look up and see what God's doing through family. Because if you do, you're going to see him work. You'll see him bless. And these words from Jesus are going to be really sweet from Matthew 12. When people are asking Jesus about the interplay between his earthly family and his spiritual family, he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? 
And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So will you let God work in this family to bless you? Let's pray. Again, Lord, in complete and utter dependence upon you, we ask that you would do your work to bless. And I, I recognize this morning that that may take a lot of faith for some. For some, this application is simple. Just let's go home and be really good dads and moms. But for some, this may take a lot of slowing down and looking up and trusting you. And I just ask that you make that burden very light this week. I ask that you in your kindness, as you've promised to do, give us a very easy yoke as we trust you. And help us to disengage from a hamster wheel, anxious, toil, bread-driven life. And instead, slow down and look up and see what you're doing in family. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.